Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a great show lined up to you. It's coming to us from the heart of Indian country. I've got three exciting guests who are going to be talking about a real hot topic, not just in Indian country itself, but in the public health community at large. We're speaking about tobacco in Indian country, and I've got three amazing guests. First of all, I want to introduce you to Wayne Tormala. Wayne, it's great to have you with us on the show. Yeah, Dave, I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much for giving attention to this topic. Wayne, tell us a little bit about uh, what you keep busy with. Well, I keep pretty busy uh, as the Bureau Chief uh, with the Bureau of Tobacco and Chronic Disease at the Arizona Department of Health Services, and that encompasses all aspects of uh, prevention, cessation, tobacco, secondhand smoke issues across all populations. But on the chronic disease side, that includes uh, heart, lung, cancer, stroke, diabetes, uh, asthma. We do healthy aging, so we attend to Alzheimer's and falls prevention, and then we have HIV prevention uh, under our bureau too. So there's a quite a cross section. Uh, almost every major disease-related causes of death uh, in Arizona is, is handled by uh, the Bureau of Tobacco and Chronic Disease. Wow! So you've got a lot of responsibility, and you got some great perspective on this topic. You, Wayne, have been working hard uh, behind the scenes along with your associate, Lori Thomas, to really pull together a great show. And you've brought two other people to the table. I know you're all there in a conference setting in Arizona while I'm recording here in California. Tell uh, our listeners who else is around the table with you. Sure. We have Eldon here. Uh, I'll let Eldon introduce himself briefly. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, Dr. Thoreau, it's uh, honored to be on your show. I'm Elder Palemso uh, from uh, the Hopi Tribe. I uh, work with the Hopi Tribe as their uh, education prevention coordinator uh, for commercial tobacco. Wonderful. Elden, it is great to have you on the show as well. And then we have uh, Matt Madonna with us. Uh, Matt, uh, I've let him introduce himself as well. I've uh, been with the American Cancer Society, or had been with the American Cancer Society my entire career of 32 years. For the last 26 years, I've been very active in tobacco advocacy as I was the director both of the state and the southwest for the American Cancer Society. I've been involved in a lot of the advocacy policy changes and ballot initiatives that we've done throughout the state over the last 26 years. Wow, that is tremendous, Matt. I'm so glad that you're on the show as well. Uh, Dave, I'd like to add uh, you know, uh, a couple perspectives, too, that Eldon here uh, in addition to the innovative practices he's been leading with the Hopi Nation, we'll get into those a little later, he's uh, often really an effective spokesperson on behalf of all uh, Native peoples in Arizona. He's very active uh, with everything we do, and so he's a very special guest for us to have with us here. And then Matt uh, Madonna, in addition to really leading the cause in the past around raising taxes and smoke-free laws, is also a member of the statewide uh, trust as a commissioned group uh, that provides advisory uh, capacity to the state on t all things tobacco. So we've got uh, a couple of people here who are, I think, uniquely positioned to give a perspective on it. 
Well, it's an exciting topic, and it's one that generates a lot of interest in the public health community. Lori, your associate, and I met at the American Public Health Association meetings in 2015 in Chicago. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of dialogue in the public health community. And sometimes when you're talking about tobacco, people that don't know the history of tobacco in Indian country, it can really lend itself to some, oh, tense dialogue. Do you guys find that right there in your neck of the woods, or is everybody oriented in Arizona? Yeah, um, Eldon, just speaking, I think um, the main thing is that, that not only, I think, you know, we're faced with the challenge of that disparity and how we appreciate that insight, Eldon. And Wayne, I'm thinking about you. You've got uh, this role dealing not just with tobacco, but chronic disease in Arizona. From your vantage point, can you just give our listeners, many are are tuning in from Alaska, they're listening from the, the southeastern United States, some have never set foot in Arizona. Can you give us a bird's eye view on tobacco issues in your state? Yes. Uh, well, Arizona is, is a state of many contrasts. Uh, we have uh, we have two major urban areas, uh, Phoenix being the biggest, uh, being the sixth largest city in the United States. And then we have vast uh, rural populations, including 22 tribal nations, and we have considerable land mass and populations around on the border between Mexico and the United States. So we have a, a great diverse uh landscape here, both socially, economically, and in terms of uh, health equity. So it pr- provides a lot of challenge uh, for our planning and for us having a statewide impact, but at the same time, there's, a, I think, a richness of, of cultural diversity that we draw on. So uh, our, our perspective here with the uh, State Health Department is to respect the, the sovereignty of uh, tribal nations and to really work uh, as much as a listener as we do as a speaker in terms of what's important uh, to those populations and those people that are very important to the overall culture of Arizona. So when we're talking about issues of tobacco, you know, we do recognize that uh, tobacco remains the, uh, the leading disease-related cause of death uh, for all people. Uh, although in Arizona, we're proud to say that the uh, smoking rates among tribal populations are lower than the average uh, for the state. So we're at about 15% prevalence across the state, but the tribal communities uh, tested about 11%. Now, that's with the uh, Behavioral Risk Factor Survey System, the BRFSS, uh, which is a flawed system, but it's a system that all states go by and what CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, goes by. So, And we know that uh, lower tobacco rates among tribal populations are all also mirrored in the fact that cancer rates are, are lower than the state average, uh, as well as uh, chronic lower respiratory disease and stroke and some of the major conditions that tobacco use can cause. And we know that uh, smoking among pregnant women in the tribal populations is at about 3%, which is very low. At the same time, we know that uh, chew tobacco among uh, tribal populations, of course, which is a great hazard to your health, health too, is about seven times the state average. They come in about 20 21% of 
of natives in, in Arizona will say they chew compared to about 3% statewide. So, uh, you know, I, I, we could paint one picture which says, you know, that the smoking rates are lower than, certainly much lower than they are across the United States among tribal communities. But at the same time, it remains a, a, a major problem uh, that we're working to, to reduce and eventually eliminate. Well, Wayne, I find this uh, particular data surprising, to be honest with you. I mean, I, first of all, I really want to commend Arizona and the tribal people there because that is, uh, I mean, some remarkable data as far as the uh, prevalence of, of cigarette smoking. But I'm also surprised by that uh, chewing tobacco statistic. I'm interested as to whether Eldon has some insights into those uh, those numbers. Well, I, I think, you know, that's, that's the other part of it, I think, that we find very interesting in, in you know, Arizona. As uh, Wayne mentioned, the number of tribes, also, you know, the differences of, you know, youth also varies in, you know, from tribe to tribe, whether it's being smoked, uh, smudged, in, in what respect being used. But from the, the chewing perspective, I think, you know, that... Um, I think has been a, another interesting topic because all and for our area up in northern Arizona, um, Hopi and Navajo country, Hopis tend not to really have much of a, a prevalence of, of of two, but in our neighboring community, the Navajo tribe, you know, has a lot more prevalence than that, and and you'll also find that interestingly, a lot more women and mm. older women prevalence of two, and so. So overall, you know, um, uh, lesson I think that you know we need to understand and, and realize the importance of what traditional tobacco use is aside from the commercial tobacco. I would add too, uh, Dave, that the uh, the high chew rate also mirrors uh, that we see higher chew chew rates in Arizona where outdoor lifestyles are more dominant. So in a lot of the rural areas outside of the tribal nations, we we also see high chew rates, and so. For us, uh, we've associated that more with the ranching uh, lifestyle and, and farmers and people that are, are, you know, outside, outdoors most of their lives. Now, we've got Matt at the table as well. And, Matt, I know as you briefly introduced yourself, you were the CEO of the American Cancer Society there in the Southwestern Division for a number of years. As we look at these practices, at least uh, addictive tobacco use— and its connection with cancer, what comes to your mind? Well, obviously, the, the usage rate and the corresponding morbidity and mortality rate tie in directly. So the important issues are how do I identify the target populations, and then what can we do aggressively, and how can we spend the limited resources we have to make sure that we get the appropriate messages out to the targeted population. Wayne mentioned rural and, and ranching and all that sort of thing. And another big factor in the chew issue is rodeo. And rodeo is very big in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And chew and the companies that provide uh, snuff and tobacco and that sort of thing are major sponsors of radio throughout the state. So you see the tobacco industry spending a significant number of resources in trying to continue to promote their product and continue to try to lure young people into the use, whether they're tribal or whether they're non-tribal. Youth is a major target for the tobacco industry and a major target for the billions of dollars that they're spending to try
try and keep people addicted to their product. Well, let's step back from that perspective and really reframe things because we've been alluding to these differences between commercial and traditional tobacco. Can we talk a little bit about that? I know many of the listeners, this is familiar dialogue, but others don't really know some of these terms. Help us to understand them. The, the differences between the commercial and traditional tobacco. I think the, the main thing is the, the providing the guidance and, and also the recognition that, of, of the traditional use. And so educating our young native population, those, you know, elements, I think, is important. But also, aside to the sacred uses and the medicinal uses that we've now kind of overlooked because of our Western, you know, mythology. But, you know, so there is big differences, and and I think uh, we're finally beginning to recognize those things. And I I would say that, uh, you know, one of our concerns, certainly we would adhere to the to the slogan that commercial tobacco kills and ceremonial tobacco heals uh, within tribal populations. Also, though, important to recognize that commercial tobacco used in ceremonial practices is a concern of ours because then you're going back to the commercial tobacco that has over 4,000 toxins in it, uh, including many carcinogens as opposed to the natural herbs that have grown for centuries on tribal lands, uh, which have been used in, in ceremonial practices. So is it safe to say that one of the main differences is not only the constituents of the tobacco, but also the frequency of use and how the tobacco is used? Yeah. Um, I think the, the the main thing, especially with the Indian populations or the country, was the, the misunderstanding and, and the interpretation of the availability when the commercial tobacco came in and having, you know, those clans and the recognition and respect of, of tobacco, you know, really became, you know, a, a, a good insight or as to where the, you know, um, this, the misunderstanding. And so we took it, probably respected it, but little did we realize with the ingredients that, you know, what we were being contaminated with. And so I think that is, you know, has taken a full turn to for us to understand and realize the health disparities. Mm. And so I think, you know, there's been a, a clear, you know, distinction now between the two uh, uh, tobacco products, commercial and traditional. Well, we've got to step away, guys, right now. We have got to go out for a break, but we are going to be right back. We've got some great dialogue continuing on today's edition of American Indian Living, things that will make a difference for you, for your tribe, for the people you care about. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be right back. Stay tuned for more. Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call one 800 775 hope that's 1-800-775-4673 we'll be right back after this my name is florence aq for lunch today i had grilled chicken and squash i am zuni indian and i have the power to prevent diabetes my name is d dakota denesosi i turned the tv off and took my nieces and nephews for a walk we saw two jack rabbits an eagle and zero cartoons i'm from the Dene nation and i have the power to prevent diabetes 
Science has proven that if we lose as little as 10 pounds by walking briskly for 30 minutes, five days a week, and make healthier food choices, we can prevent diabetes. My name is Barbara Akisakbuk Curtis. I'm losing weight and being more active. I am Alaskan Inupak Eskimo, and I have the power to prevent diabetes. For more information on how to prevent diabetes, talk to your health care provider. For free materials, call the National Diabetes Education Program at 1-800-438-5383 and ask for the power to prevent diabetes. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This is Meryl Streep. Over the years, I have played some characters you could call controlling, but the truth is there's so much in life we can't control. But here's something we can colorectal cancer. It affects men and women, and it's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., which is astounding, considering it's almost entirely preventable. Here's how. Most colon cancers start as polyps, and screening helps find polyps so they can be removed before they even turn into cancer. Screening also finds this cancer early, when treatment works best. For me, screening was simple and quick. It was no big deal, except for the huge sense of relief you feel afterwards. There are several tests that you can choose from. If you're 50 or older, you should talk to your doctor. Decide which one's right for you. Take control. Do everything you can to prevent colon cancer. Screening saves lives. It could really save your life. For more information, call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose on today's edition of American Indian Living. We're speaking about tobacco in Indian country, particularly in the state of Arizona, We've got some great folks around the table. If you're just joining us, we've got representatives from tribal nations in the person of uh, Eldon Kalemsa. He's uh, Hopi and has been very involved with a number of tobacco initiatives there, both at the tribe and throughout the state. We've been uh, hearing from Wayne Tormala. Wayne is the chief of the Arizona Department of uh, Health Services, their Bureau of Tobacco and Chronic Disease. And then uh, Matt Madonna, who uh, has years of experience with the American Cancer Society and has been very active in many aspects of uh, tobacco dialogue throughout the state of Arizona and beyond. Guys, as we come back into the dialogue, I'll just tell you from my vantage point as a public health professional and physician, oftentimes we speak about these distinctions between traditional and commercial tobacco. No question, there are vast differences, but some of the folks in the chemistry labs, the epidemiologists, they tell me things like, you know what, Dr. DeRose, if there's nicotine in the product and you're burning it, it is going to create carcinogens. Yes, there may be less than in that commercial tobacco, but the traditional tobacco is not off the hook. What do you think? Are they just looking at a narrow perspective on this topic, or is there some truth in what they're saying, and it's just a matter of uh, exposure? Those using uh, tobacco traditionally are not using it in the amounts that one would expect to uh, really increase cancer risk. No, that's a great question. I, I, I'm not sure what, uh, what the researchers would be, how they'd be defining traditional tobacco. I think if they're defining it as sage, cedar, sweetgrass, 
the other kinds of ingredients of, that are used typically, for, for example, with Hopi, uh, I don't think you should find much nicotine in that product. I mean, nicotine is something that you artificially induce. That's not found in nature. So I, I would question that that, that, that concern. Um, but I think, it, again, it's, it's also, you know, the amount we're not talking about uh, ingesting, you know, up to uh, 20 uh, traditional tobacco units a day, like many people do with commercial tobacco, mm-hmm. uh, that that also include all those gases and, and the uh, carcinogens, and also uh, in traditional practices, the the, uh, the the herbs are not necessarily inhaled. I mean, they're in the air, and there's some exposure there, but you're certainly not sucking it down into your lungs and your bloodstream like you would with a commercial uh, cigarette. So I think uh, the fact that, you know, there aren't really any addictive qualities in pure traditional tobacco, uh, which would include the nicotine of commercial tobacco, that that's probably an artificial distinction. So I would probably take issue with that. I think what we do know, though, is that, um, that uh, for, for example, with Navajo population, uh, and I think this is probably true across most tribal communities in Arizona at least, seven out of ten Navajo will seek the consultations of a, of a medicine man, of a traditional healer, either in exclusion of or in conjunction with seeing Western medicine practices as, as uh, delivered by, say, Indian Health Services or a local clinic. So when you have 70% of your population going to a particular source uh, for healing uh, and, and to help them with uh, their physical and, and mental conditions, then you have to take that force into consideration if you're going to improve the health of a population. Mm-hmm. You can't ignore 70, the fact that 70% are going to a source for, for their practice. So uh, for us, then, it becomes extremely important uh, to integrate our work uh, with the work of traditional healers because we know that that's where people are going to go. Even if they go to a Western practitioner, they're still going to seek the consultation. Uh, and I, I would welcome Eldon to chime in on that with his opinion. Yeah, as we know um, in Indian country that tobacco has been part of our emergence and our existence for you know a millennium of time, and and the, the practice and use of it, we've never had cancer in, in in those populations. Unfortunately, with the introduction of the commercial tobacco, that's when you know things change. But I know that from you know a lot as as we had mentioned, been part of us from time millennium that you know and and the different uses that we had you know with the the tobacco you know as far as even for asthma for rheumatism for the fevers earaches analgesic you know remedies you know are are all a part of that but along with that even you know with the practice of you know the honor and and the vehicle of you know actually um that for the spiritual uh prayer and all of those things, you know, has really been, you know, part of that. And, and again, you know, talking about the use, the respect was there, the the, the praise and, and, and honor of actually the, the product. And and so, you know, and then again, for Hopi, we don't inhale, although we have numerous calendar events that take place annually. And especially being a traditional leader or a Cuba you know, you're susceptible to have uh, a full calendar year of involvement with tobacco. But, you know, that was never an issue, and, and because of the practice and, and the method of, of use. So these are things that, to me, I think, you know, has, has always been in place. Um, 
practice with hope. I think that's the part that, you know, um, we do understand that, you know, people are turning back to the to the, the generic product or the, the most basic. So it, 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 it's a matter of that understanding, but also, you know, what we also tend to forget is the, the spirituality of it, that in, in whether it's in, in medicine or of healing. So, you know, those aspects are, are things that we can always be glad to look into or not find new modalities that can maybe use. I appreciate those insights, Eldon. And as I'm thinking about our listeners, I realize that many are Native, they have deep roots in Indian country, but we have many listeners who don't come from Native backgrounds. And as we're talking about ceremonial, uh, traditional tobacco use, some of them are saying, well, what does that look like? And I know we can't generalize across 22 tribal nations in Arizona, but Eldon, can you give a feel to a listener who's hearing some of this dialogue for the first time? How would tobacco be used ceremonially? Can you give us some examples? In um, in, in, in Hopi country or with the Hopi Indian tribes, um, a lot of the the ceremonies, for the beginning of the ceremony, there's the, the smoking, you know, that um, opens that particular event. And through the duration, you know, of the event itself, which depending on what activity it is, it could be a duration from a week to maybe a month or so. But, you know, again, with, with, with all of those things in place, uh, it, it's utilized for prayer and, and for the unity and, and for the commitment throughout the ceremonial process. All in relevance to where that do this the the spiritualness that you know we 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 promote that and and as far as with our language with you know the higher powers those are things that we 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 try to practice and and with Hopi our practice of of, of our religion is not only for exclusive of Hopi but for the world in general and so you know I think that's one thing that. We still have in place, and so with the with the traditional tobacco use, it utilized. It you know brings that uh, the commitment and the entirety of you know whether it's the village or the community in, in the event. So very strong um, mm-hmm. throughout the Indian country. Well, thanks so much for giving us a little bit better perspective there, Wayne. You gave us some great statistics on commercial tobacco usage throughout Arizona. Do we have data on just how prevalent the ceremonial tobacco use is among Native nations? I'll, I'll defer to Eldon on that. We, I don't have data on that. Um, <clears throat> not per se as far as uh, statewide data or, you know, but I I know I uh, from my program, working with uh, Hopi youth and, and trying to integrate, put emphasis on the traditional tobacco we have taken community assessments and, and, you know, high school surveys that do provide at least some numbers as to what our, um, our understanding or what our approach is to traditional tobacco. And for the Hopi population or youth population, uh, a general statement is that, you know, yes, the traditional tobacco products are used, but mainly for ceremonial purposes. Well, we're rapidly running out of time in this segment, 
But let me tell you where I envision going in our next segment, because I know many of our listeners are interested in these topics. I think there's a lot of interest in Indian country and beyond about tobacco companies and whether there's some deliberate uh, manipulation or targeting of uh, native peoples when it comes to some of the commercial products that are available. Are, are you folks prepared to tackle that as we come back here shortly? Sure, we can go ahead. And then, uh, Matt, I know you've got a lot of interest in how some of the financial factors, taxation issues affect tobacco. Is that something we can uh, make sure we get into the show as we continue? Absolutely. Uh, I'm prepared to discuss uh, some of that transitions right into what we're talking about in terms of how the industry targets tribes. Because not only is it a commercial targeting, but the tribes and the whole tax thing become an issue as it relates to how tobacco is sold to the general public. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's where we're going to go. We've got to step away right now. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be coming back with some more great dialogue on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't you go away. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. I'm Karen, and two very important people in my life, my husband and my father, have been diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation, or AFib, is a type of irregular heartbeat. People with AFib are five times more likely to have a stroke than people without AFib. Talk with a healthcare professional today about your risk and learn how to manage AFib to prevent a stroke. Visit stroke.org AFib to learn more. My name is Mira Batra. I have been in this country 32 years, and this is how I live united. America has always been the land of promise, and in my community, many families have come for a better life. Coming from another culture myself, I know the desire to become part of a community, to feel at home, and to gain the tools for our children and families to succeed. So I advocate for these families with United Way. United Way empowers them to look beyond their histories and to see what opportunities are available. We help them get involved with their kids' schools, network within the community, and when we do, we unite them. We make the community stronger. What I do is something I wish someone had done for me, and I am so grateful I am able to. My name is Meera Batra. I help families see opportunities and succeed. I don't just wear the shirt. I live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Did you know that 63% of homes contain allergens from cockroaches? And that mice spread potent asthma triggers found in 82% of homes? It's true. Common household pests are major offenders on the list of indoor allergens. Learn what you can do to help your family breathe easier. Visit PestWorld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association and the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose, we're speaking about tobacco in Indian country. Ceremonial tobacco, traditional tobacco, commercial tobacco. Sometimes it gets confusing, even if you know what we're talking about. And we've got some folks who've been trying to help us sort through some of the dialogue. We're coming back with a question right now to our team of experts from the state of Arizona. We have Wayne Tormala. We have Eldon Kalemsa, and we've got Matt Madonna all joining us from Phoenix, Arizona. Guys, one of the questions that I told you we wanted to get into in this segment is this question about commercial tobacco companies and perhaps even manipulating in some way uh, their products, uh, their messaging to actually if you will, infringe or encroach into the sacred use of tobacco in tribal nations. Is that something that's happening, or is this something that's just propaganda out there? Well, I would, I would probably start the ball here by saying anytime you ask a question, uh, do the commercial tobacco companies manipulate for a profit for any population, I would say yes, indeed, 100%. Uh, certainly, native populations are not excluded from the tobacco companies' drive for profit, uh, even at the price of shortened lifespans for people. So, I don't think we need to be shy about answering that question. Uh, but I do think, you know, there are some examples of how they do this uh, using uh, uh, native uh, symbols, looking at, uh, you know, the, the product American Spirit or any kind of thing that would sort of uh, denote uh, maybe this is actually a natural herb that's uh, not dangerous to your health, and certainly uh, it's not just marketed to tribal folks, but tribal—I mean, across all populations. You can go in a smoke shop in, in Phoenix here and find those kinds of marketing happening. You're talking about the same tobacco, uh, commercial tobacco industries that target to youth and get them addicted. We know that if we get people addicted by 19 years old, there's a high chance they'll become lifetime users. Uh, so, you know, I think the, the short answer to that is yes. Um, we also know that the tobacco companies, you know, put a lot of money into marketing their products at powwows, at rodeos, and other events like that. So um, I, th- I think uh, I'd rather err on always thinking that the commercial tobacco industry uh, creates the terror uh, in the sense of uh, tens of thousands of years lost among populations just right here in Arizona uh, for the sake of their own profit. Well, you brought up an interesting subject, Wayne, and it brings back some dialogue we've had earlier in the show. You mentioned the brand American Spirit, and, of course, that brand actually very overtly uh, wants to connect itself with Native American imagery it brings us back to this dialogue that, as we were speaking during the break, our listeners missed out on some of that excellent dialogue you were having on your end. But I think it's relevant here, and that is the difference in the products that are used in ceremonies. Sometimes uh, you mentioned that you don't even use the term tobacco. You talk about traditional herbs. So I know I'm broadening the dialogue a bit, but let's talk about these two things. First of all, the American Spirit brand, is this really more natural? Is this uh, basically a uh, 
tobacco that you could use in a ceremony, or are we talking about something that is really just using uh, Native American imagery? Is it an example of cultural appropriation, if you will? Um, I think, you know, the answer to that is that, as Wayne said, you know, it it doesn't matter what population the the tobacco company has the intent that, you know, that's what it's going to do is to target these populations. And unfortunately, yes, the the Indian, the tribal nations are right in that. And, of course, with the the brands that you had mentioned, um, Indian Spirit, uh, Natural, and, and all of those things, has really been hasn't hasn't you know has had a really great impact you know on the Indian population. Seneca, good example, where trying to do the endorsements and coming on to Indian reservations, you know, saying that you know as a, a Seneca Indian product, and that but that's the thing that you know I'm also trying to educate um, my people out there. A good example is that Seneca that you know we see. And, and when research was done on that product, um, the, the Seneca is based out of London and uh, manufactured by the English and has nothing to do with the native population nor of any proceeds going to the native population. So that's really something that, you know, I think Indian country has to really look at. Um, We've had instances where, you know, the, the native country were working on Indian names as far as in, in professional sports. But, you know, I think the, the tobacco industry has really um, taken advantage of those things and, and trying to, you know, get the population to get into the, the natural tobacco products. But those are things that I think, you know, um, has been misled. So... Definitely a, a strong emphasis that, you know, we in Indian country, the Indian people have to understand and realize that, you know, how this thing is being manipulated. And, and of course, I'm sad to say that because of these different advertising techniques that my people have fallen into that, that, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I smoke Seneca because it's cheap, lowest. My education to that is, you know, although it's the lowest in, in price and all of that, but it's higher in tar and nicotine than your regular normal or your your tobacco products such as Marlboro and Salem. So, you know, those are things that we need to educate the Indian country and, and really put it out there because I think that we are misled and we are being taken advantage of. This other question that is continuing to surface in my mind that, I didn't really give you a chance to answer because I appreciate your you know, great dialogue from all of you. And that is this element of the traditional herbs and what is really being used in the ceremonies. Is it correct, first of all, that some Native Americans in their ceremonies are using commercial tobacco? Is that true? You know, unfortunately, yes, that's that's true. And again, on behalf of the Native population, you know, our respect and how we have held tobacco very highly, as some of us have tobacco clans, the availability and the convenience when that came with the commercial tobacco, it just helped our population, you know, to not go harvest. It, it was easy access. But little did we realize the contaminants, the ingredients, and, and now, most of all, is the cost. Mm. 
that's the thing that I think have, you know, again, misled the Native populations out there in their ceremonies. And so powwows, some of those events, you know, where tobacco is either used as honor or as a spiritual means, prayer, commercial tobacco was instituted or used otherwise. But I think that's the thing is that now we realize, especially in this campaign in Arizona, you know, where we're, we're a smoke-free state, you know, we're probably, what, 10, 15 years into this thing, but I've always said from Native country that we just started learning. We just started understanding the detrimental effects and the ingredients. That, so, so that is something that we need to make sure that is being provided education and the prevention of commercial tobacco in Indian country. Great, Eldon. Well, you know, we speak about these topics of commercial tobacco. The dialogue always comes full circle at some point to the topic of taxation. And I know, Matt, you've been looking a lot at these issues. Uh, One of the questions that is being discussed in different parts of the country has to do with how those tax laws are set up. Can you give us some insight into this uh, very important interface? I'd love to. Thanks for the opportunity, Dave. I want to focus or refocus because we've spent most of the last three segments dealing primarily with rural tribes in, in, in our own state and in the Southwest. And I'd like to refocus us a little bit to urban tribes because there's a whole different problem when it comes to commercial tobacco use in urban areas surrounded by reservations and and tribes. We stipulate that there is a huge difference between commercial and uh, tribal ceremonial use. So stipulating that, I want to move on and say that commercial tobacco use is the leading cause of preventable death and that increased tobacco taxes have proven nationally state by state to be a significant way to reduce tobacco consumption. However, urban tribes have become a tool of the tobacco industry by selling tax-free and therefore significantly cheaper tobacco products to both their own members and to the general public. They are, in fact, helping the tobacco industry to keep its tight fist of addiction on thousands of people, increasing the morbidity and mortality rates of tobacco-related diseases. I know we're fairly close to the end of this segment, but I'd like to continue into the next segment talking a little bit more about what some of the impacts might be if, for example, urban tribes were willing voluntarily to raise their own tobacco taxes and where the funds might go from the revenues generated from those increased taxes. Well, I mean, you've definitely got our interest, Matt. I mean, this is a dialogue that I have not heard. And and maybe uh, you folks in the room there in in Phoenix, this is something that's often on the agenda. But you've got me intrigued. I know you've got our our listeners intrigued. So just, uh, you know, quickly give us a a bird's eye view of what you're talking about. Well, there are obviously state-by-state different tobacco tax laws. In Arizona, we have one of the higher tobacco taxes in the country at about $2 per pack. And so when we are surrounded by tribes that can create uh, 
impact them. They are not subject because they are separate uh, nations. They are not subject to the tobacco tax laws that have been created, for example, in Arizona by votes of the public. Mm -hmm. So all of our tobacco taxes that equal that $2 that I was referring to have been passed by the voters of Arizona uh, through ballot initiative. But again, the tribes are in fact exempt from, uh, as independent nations, they are exempt from those taxes and are able to sell the product, therefore, much less expensively, and not just to their own tribal members, but also to the general public. So basically, it sounds like one of the dialogues that may be, or some of the dialogue that may be taking place there in Arizona actually relates to tribes voluntarily raising prices on their tobacco products or putting some kind of a tax on it that stays within that tribal nation? Am I hearing the implications of what you're sharing? Absolutely. I think Elvin would like to make point to that. Before we go to uh, Eldon's insights, we have to step away just for another couple minutes. We've got some more great dialogue coming up. Special show on tobacco and Indian country. Dr. David DeRose, your host. We will be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. What I say, you already know, but you don't believe. You won't accept, you don't conceive. When you're inside your car, you feel safest of all. Are you safe? Are you? Two tons of sheet metal in your hands. Two tons don't run on autopilot. You have a mission. It's no collision. Hold the phone. Don't text. You're angling to be next. Oh, you've done it before. What's the harm? Just this once. There's no alarm. Got your hands on the wheel? No big deal. Brothers and sisters, you won't see it coming. You're off the road. Your life explodes. It's not worth it. Don't do it. You only think there's nothing to it. Put it down. Hang up. Pay attention to highway action. Behind the wheel, there is no such thing as a small distraction. Join the conversation at DecideToDrive.org, a public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, who would rather help keep your bones strong than put them back together. We are here to say a word about cancer. When you talk to someone who has been diagnosed with cancer, be positive. Be supportive. That's it. Stop right there. Don't start telling them about your Uncle Vern. Or the next-door neighbor. Don't be grim. Try not to disappear, either. Don't cross to the other side of the street. Don't stop calling. Don't cry. Don't ever say, you're living my worst nightmare. You know who you are. Here's the important part. Be positive. Be positive. Se positivo. Say these words. You will do great. Keep calling. Check in. Be a friend. Or be a new friend. Be a supportive. Positive friend. Smile. Try not to be afraid. Or act afraid. Fear is not useful. Be a funny, hopeful human being. If you come across cancer, let it transform you into your most positive self. And inspire. Urge. Fortify. Rally. Encourage someone to do great. This message brought to you by Cancer Survivors. For more information, to hear stories or share your own, visit DoGreatCampaign.com. Do great. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. 
Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for the final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. We've been speaking about commercial versus traditional tobacco getting some unique perspectives from Indian country from Arizona, folks uh, both representing tribal nations as well as representing the public sector. We were speaking in the last segment with Matt Madonna, who has a long history with the American Cancer Society and is very involved with taxation-related issues in tobacco. And we were speaking some about uh, what struck me as a a rather novel proposal, at least from where I sit, and that is of uh, tribal nations voluntarily putting some type of tax or additional pricing on their products that would come back to the tribe. Eldon, I know Matt wanted you to weigh in on the dialogue, and I think all of us are anxious to hear what you and the folks uh, you represent on the Hopi Nation uh, might think about this whole uh, whole aspect to the discussion. Yes, uh, for Hopi, we don't, um, uh, one of the tribes that do not sell tobacco at the borders and stuff. But I think, you know, in our own reservation, that has been brought up and identified with our tribal legislation and all of that as to how we can also deter that. And I think that's very uh, a prominent, you know, idea of we need to tax, you know, our tobacco products on the reservation too. But not only that, unfortunately, Hopi is not one of those with casinos and so that type of revenue is coming in. Even the small taxation that may occur on the reservation, I think would, you know, benefit you know, a lot of other different entities, such as education or if not, you know, our own tobacco station entities out there. So I, I think that there's a lot of uh, potential and that, you know, we can do great things with those tobacco taxes. Great, great. I mean, I appreciate those insights. Matt, I'm going to ask you a question. It's, it's one that might be a little bit awkward, but we talk in economic circles, using terminology that sometimes is lost on lay people, there's this concept of price elasticity. I'm wondering if you can tell us why that's so important in this current dialogue. Thanks, Dave. I'd be glad to. The the concept that we were talking about and, and set up earlier, the two basic benefits that can happen if urban tribes would voluntarily increase their tobacco taxes are, number one, the most obvious, income generated by those increased taxes. And I have some suggestions on how those funds could help in a public health sense. But the second point, the price elasticity issue, is that there's, basically, there's a proven concept that as prices go up, consumption goes down. It's proven time and time again in relationship to tobacco consumption. For every 10% that tobacco taxes are increased, there is a 7% decline in consumption. And that decline is even more dramatic among lower-income populations. So from a public health perspective, raising tobacco taxes will have a very positive effect by reducing tobacco consumption, especially among segments of the population that can least afford to spend money on the purchase of tobacco to begin with. By extension, as we have proven here in Arizona, the corresponding tobacco-related diseases and deaths have declined dramatically, and that's been substantiated by the CDC uh, on an annual basis that we've been doing this for about the last 20 years. So price elasticity says the more you have to pay, the fewer people are going to do it. Dave, if I could segue, though, back into the other benefit, which you alluded to earlier, which is the tobacco 
tax increase and the revenue generated being able to be kept by the tribe, again, from a public health perspective, two very important benefits could be, number one, the creation of tobacco prevention and cessation programs on the reservation designed to keep tribal youth from starting to use tobacco and providing assistance to those who want to quit. And secondly, investment in programs designed to help reduce some of the more common health threats like obesity, diabetes, alcohol, and substance abuse, these issues are increasing in alarming proportions all over the country, and uh, the reservations are no exception. So tribes keeping the money and hopefully diverting some of the revenue to public health issues and the increase in and of itself helping to reduce tobacco consumption. Thanks so much, Matt. I mean, those are insights that I think are definitely worth all of us keeping in perspective. And as people are listening to American Indian Living from various tribal backgrounds, as you enter into this dialogue, I know it's not something unique to Arizona. I think some great things to keep in perspective. Well, you know, one of the other questions that I think we definitely have to touch on in our final segment actually has to do with uh, something that really, I'll be honest with you, is going to vary from tribe to tribe, but um, you've mentioned it, Eldon. Some tribes, they don't have uh, casinos and and many public venues that are drawing people from off the reservation to their tribal lands, but others do. Can we talk a little bit about what's happening in casinos when it comes to tobacco? Uh, what is it like in Arizona? I, about, what, three to five, I think, native casinos out on the Okinawa Reservation that are smoke-free. Hmm. So, but the thing is, is that, you know, you still have that, entity or that institution there that, that's promoting that. And, and I think that has really been the real emphasis, especially with the Navajo tribe, because they're the ones that around our neighboring, you know, having the casinos and stuff. But that's, I think, one of their platforms is trying to, you know, have a nation to go smoke-free. Just sad that, you know, we still are inflicted with that, and, and we still need the, to have the initiatives in place so that we can, you know, combat that and, and preserve lives in Indian country. If I could piggyback on that, in the Phoenix area, we've got either seven or nine uh, tribal reservation casinos surrounding the metropolitan area, and all of them allow smoking, which means that there are issues related to quality of life, quality of workplace that the employees have to deal with, as well as the fact that even though we are a smoke-free state, there is still smoking allowed on tribal reservation casinos because, again, they are not... Uh, subject to Arizona state law. You know, you've been bringing up so many great points in our dialogue. I know it's clear from talking with you that each one of you is interested in helping people who have problems with addiction to commercial tobacco. And my understanding is one of the things that you've done, I, perhaps uh, each of you, is given out information about an American Indian commercial tobacco quit line. How does someone tap into that resource? Uh, you can uh, tap into that resource, so it's American Indian Commercial Tobacco Quit Line, by calling 1-855-372-0037. Again, that's 1-855-372-0037. Uh, and so we, we know that quit lines, uh, and I happen to sit on the North American Quit Line Consortium, an effective quit line uh, can uh, have a success rate up to 40, even 50% in terms of 
getting a permanent quit. So wow. there's a proven evidence-based practice there that encouraged people to call. Uh, at the same time, we always recognize that not everybody would, would call a quit line. Uh, so, But even the act of calling and maybe not enrolling sometimes is, is, the, is the, the first major step in quitting tobacco. The other thing is just to remember that um, we know that 7 out of 10 people who use commercial tobacco actually want to quit and have tried to quit several times. And that's where these quit lines come in very effective. So now, Wayne, is it true that this quit line is especially focused on Native American issues? Right, yeah. It's it's specifically uh, uh, responsive, I think, to the culture and the needs of of Native Americans. I would also, you know, add that uh, there are other good quit lines around the country. Certainly here in Arizona, we have the Arizona Smokers Helpline, which is uh, very effective across all populations as well. So let me see if I've got that number correct for the American Indian uh, commercial tobacco quit line. Yeah, the commercial, the uh, American Indian commercial tobacco quit line is one eight five five three seven two zero zero three seven. But then, uh, regardless of where you live, if people call wait one eight hundred quit now, uh, based on the area code of the phone they're calling from, they will be directed to the lo- uh, the uh, the closest quit line. Okay. Well, I know we've given out several numbers there, but if they're going to just take one away from the show, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's easy to remember, isn't it? Right. Well, we've talked about so much great information, and Wayne, I know you and your colleagues there in Arizona, I mean, you're doing some great work. We've sensed that on today's show. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the public health professionals that tune into the show say, boy, I'd love to talk with uh, some of those guys, they raise some questions that might be of help to us. Is there a point of contact for you, Wayne, that uh, you might be willing to share? Sure. They can uh, call here uh, to my office here at the Arizona Department of Health, and I'm at uh, 602-364-0834. Also, people can go on uh, tobaccofreearizona.gov and look at the programs we offer, but I certainly welcome personal calls, and I'll be happy if I don't know the answer or the solution to help people find out where they can get it. Great. Again, that number that I've got uh, written down, Wayne, your phone number 602-364-0834? That's correct, Dave. Great. Listen, guys, Eldon, Wayne, Matt, thank you so much for your time today. We've got to go. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Before we close out, just got to tell you, if you've been tuning into American Indian Living today, there are resources, there is help for you. And if you didn't catch some of those phone numbers, we send out information to all our affiliates, all the stations carrying American Indian Living. They'll have that contact number as well, those contact numbers more specifically. We've got to go. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Hopefully today's show has helped you enjoy the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.